You're listening to More Than This, the podcast where Christian faith and reason explore reasons for Christian faith. Life's not a sequence program from the sky. Life's a story woven up, down, in and out, like stitches in If you enjoy our show, please consider supporting us for as little as $1 a month on Patreon. Check out our site at www.patreon.com forward slash more than this pod. Thank you. Have you ever felt tension and disconnection from the political party you affiliate with in the U.S.'s two-party system? Today, guest Rachel Jones talks about what it's like to be a Republican and a social justice advocate in the age of partisan rancor and the presidency of Donald Trump. We're calling this episode The Elephant in the Room. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. I am excited. One, I am in my new edition basement studio. Uh, basically just the same old room that I used to work in with a few more uh, touches to it. And a leather sofa, which our guest this week is uh, sitting upon. She looks pretty satisfied with her seat. Very comfortable. Very comfortable. Uh Today in studio, it just sounds cool to say in studio, mm, doesn't it? Absolutely. Instead of in that corner room in your basement that nobody wants to use for anything. In the garage. In the garage. That's practically where we are. But very, very up, very elevated over what it was. So anyhow, today we are fortunate to have in studio Rachel Jones. Hello, Rachel. Hello, David. So, and I will forever call Rachel, Rachel Margot, which is her maiden name. It's a great name. It is so good. And you are just a Rachel Margot. It is no disrespect to your husband or... Jones are a dime a dozen. I know. I know. But you are not. Therefore, you will always be Rachel Margot to me. Kara looked at my phone one time when you had texted and was like, who's that? Like very early <laughs> on, I was like, oh, you'll see. And she's like, is that Rachel Jones? And I was like, no, it is, but it's not. <laughs> so... Actually, this conversation is really, really fun because, Rachel, this actually just came up with Kara the other day. She said she said something and about political leanings, and she said, is Rachel still a conservative? Did she consider herself a, a conservative politically? And I was like, I have no idea. Like, I have no idea. Because whenever we sit down with you and your husband, we don't typically have the kind of rancor that would come if somebody was just what you sort of think of stereotypically on either end of the polls, right? Right, Like a hardcore battling conservative or battling, you know, progressive. It doesn't feel that way, right? No, agreed. And I'm married to an official independent, so it doesn't lean much for conversations where both sides have like a a side. It's more like I have a side and he's um, finding the holes in my side. I didn't realize he had been he had joined the registry that he was official. Uh, yeah, that's, that's good. All it takes is doing nothing, and that will put you right on the registry of independent. Oh, I didn't I didn't realize I should pay my dues then. Uh, you skip your primaries and stay home. Oh, oh. You, you don't you don't make the cuts. Okay, I didn't I didn't skip the primaries, so that's I guess I'm not a good card carrying member of the independent uh, non party. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that was really interesting. So uh, one of the things we want to talk with Rachel about. Uh, is kind of the political landscape and where you can get stuck. Rachel is also a dedicated Christian. We got to know each other through church mm-hmm. over 20 years ago at this point. Um, Rachel is also one, a person that has sort of been into everything. She was talking about a woodworking example earlier. So not only is she uh, 
you know, a kick-ass mom and, you know, dedicated activist and doing things. I should say, I, I don't know why I use the word activist. That actually brings an image to mind I don't like. But you volunteer a lot. Like, you serve a lot. Uh, I like activist. You like activist? Is I that it's is, fine. Is that okay? I think it... I think both sides should be act should be full of activists. Yeah, activists sounds. Let's reclaim more, it. Yeah, it sounds more Margot than Jones. I'll say, that's definitely a Rachel Bar. <laughs> Rosie the Riveter. <laughs> more Rosie the Riveter, absolutely. Um, and we were having a conversation beforehand. Initially, I thought let's just you know talk a little bit about what social justice means to Rachel, because it's a term that gets bandied around a lot. But that made me think too. Hey. What is it like to be really activistic and working for social change in causes that might be sort of co-opted in dialogue as being more liberal as someone who is one, a dedicated Christian, but also historically has aligned himself with more of the conservative end of the spectrum on a lot of issues. So that's where we drop in today. So Rachel, I'm just going to ask you flat out. Uh, and I just want to hear the answer because we've already talked about it a little bit off air. Uh, would you call yourself a conservative today, politically? Where Where do you sit with that? I officially, for primary purposes, um, a registered Republican. I feel like there's conservative and liberal and there's a whole spectrum, but at the end of the day, in America, whether you like it or not, United States of America, um, there's two camps. And as much as people would like to have a third option, and I've seen the really well done um, news shows that talk about better ways of voting, better ways of getting third party candidates, better ways of like ranking candidates. There's so many different things. But until we get those options, there's two camps, and I belong and have actively participated in the Republican Party for about 20 years. Now, when you, when you say for our listeners who are not as up to speed, on the, the Margot Diaries. Mm. Uh, when you say participated, it wasn't just like you you voted for W a few times. You have oh. more, more of a pedigree than that, do you not? Oh, I like the word pedigree. That's That sounds like a Republican word. A fancy. Um, I did my undergrad in social work and was determined to change the world from the bottom up. I cared a lot about prison reform. I cared a lot about um, what was happening to people who had mental illness in this country, mm-hmm. to people who were homeless. At the time I graduated, I spent, I don't know, th- three or four years working actively like 20 plus hours a week for free in the homeless community with homeless women. Had very passionate opinions about people who were trying to get on their feet, people who were facing lots of hurdles. And was going to be a parole officer, was actually hired to be a parole officer with Franklin County, and out of the blue got a call from the Ohio House of Representatives, state and federal, I've only ever worked in state, um, to come and apply to be a legislative aide, to which I said, I am not interested. My car has no AC. I'm not driving downtown in a suit. I already have a job. Like My training starts in two weeks. So... This lady convinces me to come and interview. At the end of the interview, she offers me a job working in the Ohio House as an aide. And I feel like I didn't come, I didn't, I'm not going to change the world in the ivory tower. I'm going to change the world on the ground as a parole officer, inspiring change. And um, 
I actually called my boss, my new boss at the parole office, and said, craziest thing happened. I was just offered this job as a legislative aide in the Ohio House. And the boss says, you know, if you were my kid, I tell you to go for it. We are always hiring here. So I would take that job and call me in the future if you want to come back here. So it seemed like a a weird open door that I, I jumped through. So at that point, though, um, did you have anything that had come up for you where you're like, oh, Republican? At that am, am point, I, I felt like I had been to a smaller, um, a state school, but smaller and like a picture, like a wealthy suburb. That's like what it felt like my first year of college. And then I came back to go to more urban Ohio State, um, which was much more diverse. And so I felt like I'd watch, you know, live congressional session and I'd see people falling asleep. And in my undergrad, I'd meet students in social work with these ridiculous ideas that would cost us, I thought like just, you know, trillions of dollars to fix problems that I felt like no one's ever going to agree to spend trillions of dollars like on this one program. Right. So I felt like both sides and, or people who just were in a more, um, I don't know, highbrow, it sounds sounds like there's too much baggage with it. But people who had led, um, even the word privilege now is taken, people who had led very comfortable lives, who by no intention of their own, by no malicious inclination, by no knowingly racist undertones, honestly had never seen the world beyond their own bubble. And so at my first school that I was at, I met students, I met peers who were like, the children of judges and congressmen who were nice people, like super nice, um, but had never had never wanted for anything. And so you realize having these conversations, you know, as young college kids, like you just don't know any more than than what you know. And you're poised to be a congressman. You're poised to get your law school paid for by your parents. You don't need a scholarship to be here. And you're going to be in a position to make really important decisions. And you're a nice guy or a nice girl but you don't know anything more than what you've seen. So that made me kind of like anti-Republican. Then my social work peers made me anti-Democrat. And it just felt like both sides are reaching. Wait, wait, back up a second. Did I hear you correctly? Your social work friends made you anti-Democrat? Yeah. Really? I so just can, felt you say like, about, can you say more about that? I didn't feel like, not obviously these are peers 20 years ago. Um, and not all of them, of course. That some were some were lovely, but I felt like the the most vocal political peers of mine in social work, I thought had ideas that I didn't think were practically sustainable, like fiscally. Like, I I see. Okay. What business model would you ever be able to? What are you doing? And that carries through into when I got a job in the Ohio Senate after the Ohio House. So I got this offer to work for Republicans. And I called a friend and said, I'm not a Republican. I can't work for Republicans. And she said, so I live in Ohio and Ohio is a swing state. Ohio goes back and forth between D's and R's. However, the way that our current lines are drawn, um, our, our state legislature is predominantly Republican. Um, statewide, Republicans had been in, in control for over, I mean, over a decade, over two decades. The Ohio Senate 
is not going to even have an opportunity to be bipartisan for decades to come. Um, and so she said, if you want to make any change, you have to work with Republicans. Like they're always going to be in charge. Little did she know that two years later, the state would flip to be led by Democrats. And I was then ineligible to get a job in any state agency working passionately on issues that I cared about because there was an R next to my name. So I worked, I got hired on with a Republican boss who to this date was one of the kindest men I've ever worked for in my life. Um, he was a small business owner from Northeastern Ohio, down to earth family, like just a really nice guy. Um, cared about the poor, cared about business, cared about, I guess, taxes and small government. And then I went to get a job in a state agency working with people who were developmentally disabled, people who had been homeless, people who had been on programs, uh, tried to get a job working um, at a community action agency, which was like a the place in Franklin County where anybody under a certain income is able to get access to free and reduce like federal benefits. Um, but I was too Republican uh, to get a job in any of those places and agencies. So I was telling you that at this point, um, I think if you have a lot of money and you want to change parties and you're like already an established representative, like if you're in Congress and you want to change parties as we've seen happen, but it's very rare, um, as a staff person, you kind of have, once you have your flag planted, your flag is planted. And it's hard to kind of cross back over that line. So that's really, that is really interesting. So I'm recapping in my brain. You are, I guess what I would call, because bleeding heart liberal is used sort of derisively, right? Uh, but I think you're more, uh, sounded like back then, a bleeding heart conservative where you weren't arguing fundamentally that things were problems. It was just what solutions were viable. Yeah. And I feel like these days, that it's drifted even further along party lines where there people aren't even saying that th the same things are problems, right? I think that we could not be more divisive on what we hold to be truths and our ideological political parties. So originally I was raised, my mom is a Republican. I was raised, I guess, conservatively, although we never taught, we I never spoke about politics at the dinner table my mom is just an incredibly hardworking person. So my own background, I grew up in government housing, using food stamps. I had free latchkey. I had access to free summer camps when my mom was working. Um, well, she always worked. But I had access to all of these programs, which allowed my mom to work full time and provide for my family until she was able to get enough money where we could live on our own and pay for our own food. Um, but my mom is incredibly conservative um, so I've grown up with the idea that we all belong to each other, that I am my brother's keeper, that my neighbor cares if I have food in my house and in literal circumstances has given food to us because we had no food. And so I've always taken that with me. And I think that both parties, I think are supposed to believe in service. So you believe in, in a political party because you believe in public service. You believe in holding office. You believe that your time is worth a lower paid job in elected office than climbing a corporate ladder, than running a well-paid nonprofit. Like you're not making a ton of money 
working which is now a full-time job to be a state legislator, even though it's really part-time, but you're always fundraising. So I've always felt like, I don't think it's up to the government to have programs to sustain my community. I think that the government should have funds available and that my community should get to choose how that's best spent, that we should give it to churches and mosques and community centers because you know what industry is hiring, you know what jobs and training people need. I don't think that enough money will ever solve problems. So that's kind of why I got why I got more interested in the in the conservative and the the um, Republican Party. But I can tell you the number of rooms that I've sat in where people with their pearls and their Louis Vuittons are talking about how we can't have more entitlements, how we have to end these programs. But these these women have never used an entitlement. They've never been on a program, but they're against them. And so you have to ask, like, do you know anybody who is an immigrant? Do you know anybody who has used an entitlement because it was necessary to feed their children? You are pro-life. What do you believe about supporting single low-income women? Like there's so many layers that I feel like a program is not going to solve local poverty. I think that that provides a community. So the, that's so the federal funding or any funding should be spent at a localized level with people who sort of have an ear to the ground and eyes on the community. Um, and it's interesting that, that's what's kept me in this camp. Yeah. And now we're at a place where to be a Republican and a strong Republican today means that you are supportive of our Republican president, that you, um, I'm not seeing anybody who is actively engaged in the Republican Party will save Mitt Romney. He's like an anomaly because he can be. And he has the money to be honestly, but let's say someone who needs money to fund a campaign. You're not finding a lot of Republicans who are pro Black Lives Matter, who are talking about um, criminal justice reform, who are talking about like justice for any of these people who people are protesting. So I feel like there's a gap where Republicans are now. Um, They've taken their rights, like my rights, small government, less government, to mean that we no longer, you don't have to wear a mask because it's your body, it's, 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 your, it's your life. Like, there, like There's no sense of, I'm here to serve and I am my brother's keeper and we all belong to each other. It's become much more polarized. That, those those contours are very interesting to me, and I feel like they have fallen. I, I was raised conservative as well, a very conservative parents, um, conservative, you know, church, those, those overlapped a fair amount. Um, but that has become interesting that I think individual rights have been sovereign, and that touches down with social issues a lot because then the presupposition is that everybody sort of has – the responsibility to sort of take care of their own, right? And that's it. Uh, and that's how magically things kind of work. And then things like entitlements and all of that stuff have no place. And you just kind of like are left without a chair. And, you know, uh, what is that? The game. Why am I blanking on it? The one where you, uh, everybody, the, uh, musical chairs, right? Oh, yes. Like, oh, okay. COVID came 
and you no longer have a chair. The music, the music of the economy stopped, and you don't have a chair anymore. But you should have had enough money in your savings, David. You should have, you should have planned ahead. But I think that this happened in March, and now it's July. And in the city where I have children, they're telling me that um, kids will only be in school two days a week. Two days. Latchkey is available on those two days. Oh, my gosh. So hopefully, whatever job you have, you can just use a phone or a computer and get your job done because you have children in your home three of the five workdays a week. But just figure it out. Use that savings. And... and God forbid you're a single parent, right? With I don't know what you would possibly, and you have an actual job that requires you to go into a physical building. Which, which by and large, most of us still do. Absolutely, especially especially people who are don't make as much. You know, what I mean, like that. I think it's those things are co-located. Obviously, surgeons are not working remotely. You know, people who have like baller incomes, like in the medical field, probably can't do everything by telehealth, but. The person who checks me in at the hotel, if I travel or do something for leisure, they can't phone that in from home. They've got to, they've got to be on property. You know, somebody's making food, somebody's delivering things, somebody's delivering Amazon to every house along my block every day. And it's like, yeah, it's like God forbid you have to go somewhere. Uh, what do we do? But as things are sort of presently construed uh, politically, um, that's kind of a blind spot, right? I like what you're saying about your, your qualms with the, the state of the con, uh, contemporary Republican affinity is that that there's no way of really dealing with that within the ideology. I feel like there's been something, we have all of these stigmas attached to words, which obviously words have always carried carried great weight. We can go back and quote Shakespeare, you know, but I feel like... Please do. I, <laughs> <laughs> that was my, my sixth grade year. But I feel like... Um, the word Democrat, the word Republican, both have like poison running through them that make other people like just detest that you might belong to a political party. And my own pastor has said that no one should align themselves purely with a political party because we should look more like Jesus and not red and not blue, to which I completely agree. You should be willing to bend and to have your your core checked regularly by the by whatever you believe is the gospel. That being said, we have a two party system creating policies which and two and two Jesuses. Which greatly in yes we do. You can pick your portrait. Yeah. Uh but I think that um I would like to look more like Jesus and try to look more like Jesus than I do either political party. But at the end of the day, if you want to influence policy, if you want to get in the arena, you have to put on a red or blue Jersey and go to town. Hmm. So I think that obviously, and, and maybe he always meant that you shouldn't be committed more to a party than you should be to God. I think, I think that's probably part of that the subtext of that statement for sure. Rachel and I go to the same church and have for a long time. But I think a lot of people are thinking, I mean, I don't, I think that you have to, I think that the political climate has become so divisive that it's more attractive to not get involved at all. Right. Um, To not hold a sign, to not put things, you will not see me posting things on social media or on Facebook about political. I, I always tell people to vote. 
I give resources to know where to go and vote because it is so divisive. And people who know me from my homeless involvement or my social justice involvement assume that I'm a Democrat. And then people who know me only from my professional career see me only as a Republican. So like, it depends on like where you have hung out with me and what I've asked you to do for me on a Saturday. Because I might have asked you to walk in a parade or I might have asked you to move furniture for a homeless friend for eight hours. It just depends on what Saturday it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's And that's that's very interesting. I think that um, that would be an interesting party game to <laughs> guess like if, if nobody, if everybody had just sort of like, you know, concealed yeah. their political affiliation, what would you guess that I am? based on sort of common experience of the two parties and sort of the tenor of both of them. And I think that's correct. I mean, I, I would I would not know you were conservative, quote unquote, uh, based on stereotypes. I, yeah, and then when I, I have, just recently I've had some people reach out because I've, um, the Black Lives Matter, right? It's become huge politically. Sure. And um, I've got some people who've reached out to me personally who I know through, I guess political realms who've said it's so sad what's happening. And I responded, Oh my gosh, it could not be more sad. But as we dig deeper, we do not agree on what is sad in this current scenario. And the idea that we can flip flop on where we think that people's dignity and worth come from just to me seems like that was never, I said, how should we spend our tax dollars? I think they should be spent locally with communities who best know how to solve their local problems. Because maybe your issue is opioids. Maybe it's unemployment. Maybe it's that it was agricultural and now it's becoming a factory or it was a factory in a coal city and now we need to get more technology. Like these are issues that I think should define us politically, not where we stand on if police are good or bad or if the color of your skin really matters. And I feel like you don't have the ability to speak eloquently on that if you don't if you've never sat in that person's shoes listening to this like you talking i think that what you you know like at this point i think anybody would say that that sounds pretty reasonable that federal money could be spent locally i don't know if too many progressives would be like no bigger government like people from on high should but that isn't often what comes down when you think about a split between being conservative or liberal yeah. Uh, it doesn't even come to that. It never It never comes up. Those aren't the issues that people talk about. Not anymore. Not anymore. But it, it, it was. I'm not, I'm not like, yeah. let's go back to the good old days. But um, it was a little easier then to have dialogue and to wear a red or a blue because you knew that you could talk about things. I think that uh, what one thing you said that I really think is beautiful is that maybe this makes sense of our pastor's words a bit is that, Maybe if you can't quite parse um, what it means to be more devoted to Jesus and be more like Jesus than being, you know, a Republican or a Democrat, maybe the maybe the litmus test is that if nobody had seen your like voter registration card, would they be able to guess? Like yeah. they should, they they probably should if you are living a life that is not completely partisan or you know, but more devoted to issues of, of true justice and and belonging to each other, grounded in that notion. I love that. I think people probably should not be able to peg you specifically. That that probably is a pretty good litmus test. And I'd, I'd like our listeners maybe to, to think about that. I know that I will. It's like, 
I think that's probably a pretty good litmus test that if people didn't know my voting record, uh, what would you they- didn't have a rhinestone to elephant pin? <laughs> well, I have I have a whole collection of brooches that I don't <laughs> like to talk about. <laughs> but, I, but, I, but, I, but I but I digress. Uh, oh, she doesn't wear them. They're <laughs> they're only for me. Must she mustn't wear them? Just kidding. Um, yeah, but I think that's that's a very good test. Like I think Christians, I I would probably put that out there as a challenge. Like, hey, if you're consistently coming down on one side of things, boy, uh, you better hope that that Jesus has got your back on that one. Or you know, there's always room to disagree, but I think that it's probably a move in the right direction and I'm not putting you up there as a saint. I'm not going to get a brooch of you yet, Rachel, but, uh, maybe. I got a guy I can call now. So, oh boy, oh, you got a brooch guy. <laughs> it's nice. We'll broach the topic later. Ooh. Ooh, that's bad. You made it. I liked it. I know I worked it in. Um, but I do, I think that, I think that's really uh, a good litmus test. There's like, would people, uh, in different different areas of your life, different touch points of your life, not be completely sure, you know, where you stood politically, and also could can not more than that could confuse you as maybe belonging to a different party. I think that's pretty cool. I have the I know the best of people on both sides who hold office and have titles, and I can point to people who have just amazing character, who listen to constituents, who do a really great job. Um, who are trying to do the best that that they can for our city and our state and county. And I know people who are serving because the party backs them and they have money for t-shirts and they have money to be for the postcards that you will throw away, but it's still worth it because name ID counts. That's a whole nother conversation, but um, there's good, there's good and bad people in both camps and there's good and bad people who run for different reasons. I think that, um, I like the idea of wondering where people actually stand. I have really good friends who are Republicans who would happily help me move someone on a Saturday or serve at a homeless shelter. I have, um, and I have friends who would be uncomfortable. I have friends who are Democrats who would rather write me a check every time. I've got one friend, whenever I ask him to do anything for any cause, like, hey, I'm gonna, I really could use your help on Saturday. He's like, can I just write you a check? And he, he, I mean, he wants to be helpful. He just doesn't want to actually like go to the shelter or carry the mattress or meet the person. But he believes in change. And he's like, if I can be a part of it with a check, can I just, can I have a check? And so I feel like, there's people everywhere that are doing what they can. I think that it would be a tool which would lead neither party to the right place to paint the other party entirely as as good or bad. So I would be, I like the idea that when you would go to vote that could you tell that somebody was adamantly one or the other by their actions, by their words, by their character, if you have that ability to, you know, see those things. And then also... um like where are people actively engaged in their communities and question yourself, like before you post something, before you are getting hashtags and sharing the message, what are you physically doing in your community? And maybe it's holding the sign and that means something. It's hours out of your day, you're taking a stand, but maybe it's actually volunteering in a meaningful way to change the life of someone 
who belongs to you, who lives in your city, who is your neighbor. Hmm. I think it's interesting that um, these days um, the term social justice has become kind of synonymous with one party over the other, right? Yes. Um, and that would be the Democratic Party. Um, you hear it sort of used derisively, lobbed at uh, Democrats called social justice warriors. Uh, some people in the Democratic camp have embraced that and said, like, yeah, I am a social justice warrior, you know, whatever. Um, I'm curious, uh, as someone who um, has worked for Republicans, got branded with the R, but has done so much community work, uh, what is, when you hear the term social justice, like, what does that mean to you? So I think oftentimes we had, um, I once had a Republican boss um, go with me and speak to a group of undergraduate social workers and gave his very um, unfiltered opinion and answered their questions in a very honest way. And when I was there, I said, when you guys go out and your job is to change, change the world for whatever your cause is, be it homelessness or youth or those who are abused or the elderly or whatever your cause is and you come in to this man's office to try and get policy changed take the buttons off of your like satchel and your jacket and your purse that say what party you belong to if you want to see a change in child welfare make that your party like i think that there's too many people who want to belong to a party and that's how they're going to make change and they believe that by just voting D or R or giving money that they're going to change the world. And I feel like the person stops listening when you walk in and all that you have are buttons and stickers on your bag. But you're really here because you want to hear their opinion. But you're really not. You're only here for your party. But I think that if you can put politics aside and be a change agent for the cause that you passionately want to see change in, then we could see the ball move. And you could you could probably... Uh, find ways to work with people on either side of the aisle. Because everyone cares about the elderly. No party is like going to stand yes. up and say, no, we don't care about the elderly, like the greatest generation. We yeah. don't care about those guys. Like, of, of course, both sides care. And so if you can make that the issue and have a respectful conversation on how to best care for the elderly without making it partisan, we have room to move. But instead, you're willing to be, you want to have the sash of, social justice warrior and that's going to get you like Instagram famous, but it's not going to help your cause. I don't think it's going to help your cause. So what about the role of social media? We've got an episode that's going to come out some point on social media and kind of it's, I don't know, yay, nay, what is it good for? How does it, how to, (laughs) how should a Christian sort of like engage or not engage with it? So how have you seen, uh, sort of the the proliferation of social media, and I mean online social media here. I know social media has existed for a long time before on, it became online. MySpace? Uh, before, oh. <laughs> Pre-MySpace, okay, okay. But it's like, well, think about it. It's media. Sure, sure. That's social. Like newspapers or social media, editorials, like, you know, people writing in. We've had this for a while, but it's just I think that there's absolutely, like, so the idea of Black Lives Matter, for instance, like that's, I think, where I've seen social media take make the most movement. Um, what I have heard personally of Breonna Taylor, if I didn't have probably not Instagram, I don't think so. 
And I think that there's something that's really powerful that's happening that's telling people like you can't look away. And so, and obviously this is a time when everyone's looking at their phones, but I think that that social media and this scenario has done a lot to raise awareness, but raising awareness will not bring change. So I think that for all of us on both sides of the aisle, and unfortunately there's just two sides to this hallway, so we only have two little aisles, um, we need to be more aware. Both sides need to be more aware of what's happening or it's never going to get better. But I don't think that that's where you have the conversations or meet with your um, elected officials or have community gatherings or meetings, even by Zoom to talk about how can we change things here? So at my house, like in Columbus, how can I be a part of change here in Columbus? Yeah. It's not going to happen through Instagram. Yep. But I think it's important to use those kind of things to raise it because there's just so many things that I feel like every week there's a new story with a video and a real face and a real family member crying. And I, I think that it's a powerful tool that can be used. Unfortunately, I think that the conservative side right now is saying um, what I'm hearing from my circle of people on my Instagram feed from those people is that if you're holding a sign that says that this shouldn't have happened, that this person's life matters, if someone is saying, say their name, then you're being branded as somebody who doesn't belong in the tent anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That the only like name you can really say proudly is Trump, which is a crazy place to be. And that's not why I believe, I truly do believe that conservative politics make the most sense fiscally and relationally and in the community so i still stand by that but it's hard to see the actual party that's supposed to be upholding that we know best how to care for our neighbors care so poorly for their neighbors i'm gonna i'm gonna do something here i'm gonna this may flop miserably but i'm gonna ask you i'm gonna ask you to put on your auntie rachel hat because we're not we're not as young as we we were rachel We, we we're grown uh, we're definitely grown now. You got you got babies of your own, uh, and not babies anymore, really. So you got you got kids that are growing, and I'm curious what you would say. So imagine uh, some sort of fictitious 18 year old, sort of devoted Christian kid who's ready to enter the realm of politics. You know, going to vote, do these things. What would you say? Uh, as a as a Christian, sort of like you know, someone who's gone before and has an eye on a lot of these issues and has worked in politics, what would you sort of tell each one uh, about checking a R or a D box? Like, if you could go, somebody's going to check that R box. What would you say to them? Like, hey, as someone who's like a Christian too, I see you're committed to Christ. What would you want to sort of? What message would you want to give to someone who was going to click the R box and then we'll do the D box too? I think that. So what you're what you're really truly choosing to do, which hopefully my kids will be actively engaged in improving their communities, is you're choosing to vote. You're choosing to get engaged behind a candidate or an issue or a cause, and I would say that regardless of the party affiliation that you would regularly stop to say is a way that this person speaks about people who don't look like them respectful and honoring 
Is this policy going to help people who aren't in the room? Like to always be aware of who's not in the room. And so I, I feel like I regularly am in the room. And as a white female, I could be in the room with a bunch of veterans that don't look like me, who don't understand my military experience. And so it matters that you speak up for people who don't get to be there. And as someone who's been a part of the system and benefited from the system, that people need to speak up for others who aren't in the room. But I think that it's, um, I get to be in the room because I look a certain way. And so people, I think I slide in on by accident. People don't actually know that I'm there. So they can say these things about the, like what the poor are really like or what people who use the system are really like because I don't look like whatever that means yes. to people. And so I think that wherever you are that you're supposed to be an agent of betterment for those around you that you should always be looking to pull people up who are working under you. The best leaders I've seen in politics are people who have taken all of the blame and given all of the glory to somebody else. So I feel like it doesn't necessarily matter which box you check. Both of them are going to have leaders that are not worthy of our respect and are not worthy of our votes. That's interesting. I think it has come to that point. I was curious to see how you'd answer that because Mm. I think it is the same caveat because in some ways the the actual walking out of the way the parties behave and the leadership and parties behave has is largely, you know, it's similar. Yeah, I mean, it's so similar. You see a lot of the, the same sort of absence of moral character and things like that and just self-promotion, party promotion, yeah. party ahead of everything, um, protecting leaders, uh, that have sort of been vested. And I think that's right. You know, I think that's really right that, uh, the way you, you, you called that out, I think the corrective is kind of the same no matter what party you're in. And I like the idea of who's not in the room. Um, we have a, it just made me think we have a, a, a dear friend, uh, Amanda, who's a pastor at our church as well. And I remember I was leading a small group a long time ago and there was a conversation that came up in her office about me and she called me afterwards to talk to me about it. And I was like, this is weird. Like, I don't really want to know what you talk about about me. And that was my initial reaction. I was like, this is awkward. Like, and she was like, no, I just wanted you to know that like we, you know, like what was said about you when you weren't in the room because you weren't there to represent yourself. And I was like, Mm. Um, that was like 15 years ago and I was still, I'm like, wow, I, that put that on my radar and I was like, oh, this is really good. So bringing back that back into the political spectrum, I do that personally, but that's a really good reminder. And I think a really good corrective, like how does this affect the people who aren't here? And for sure on that note, um, are you speaking about like, so whatever your political leanings are, so I can say I'm a conservative and that I'm a registered Republican. And if you want to talk with me about why I believe that all day, like I can talk to you and <clears throat> pardon, um, people who don't know my affiliation, maybe will be like, I really am surprised that I heard what you said about X, Y, Z. But I think that it is a problem when you can say certain things about an issue or a topic that you would never say in a crowded room, that you would never say in public, but you want to hold office, but you can't. So how how people speak about 
how people give a speech and how they speak privately behind closed doors is a big deal. And everyone knows people who is the friendliest, nicest person. But as soon as they leave there, as soon as so, you know, so-and-so leaves the room, they have got an opinion about it or they've got a gossip about it or they like the poor when they get their vote. But you should hear the things that, that they say about somebody who uses food stamps. Yes. Like, yeah. Be on the lookout for those kind of friends and leaders. Boy, this this time has flown by, Rachel. I'm really glad. I think we're we're entering silly season. Uh, so much attention has been uh, on the pandemic, obviously, and then a lot of the race issues and you know, sort of police brutality and all of those things that have been going on in our communities, protests. But against the backdrop of all of that, we have an election looming. You know, and an incumbent running, obviously, uh, two old white dudes. So. I look like to be the the presumed people who will be running for the the two parties. And I just think it's a really good time to start thinking about these things uh, because silly season and crazy rancor season is about to be upon us. I mean, it already is sorry, kind of the steady state of our country, but but it gets dialed up even more uh, as we start to get debate stages going and we start to see more yard signs and yeah, you're going to see more of it. So I think this was really timely um, and something that we should keep our eye on because so much of even the way we're responding to the things like the Black Lives Matter movement and the issues of racial injustice and the pandemic have been so seasoned through this dichotomy of Republican and Democrat that I think this is a good corrective and it kind of speaks to everything that we're talking about because everything's politicized. I'm hoping that this uh, upcoming election is a swing closer back to the middle and less of a swing in the more divisive arena. We cannot get more divisive. That It scares me to think of us becoming more divisive. Yeah. So my prayer is that cooler heads will, will prevail and we will, again, take up the plight of our neighbor and those who are impacted by racial injustice, un- unemployment, all the issues that this pandemic is bringing to light to bring us closer together. Mm. We don't usually close our episodes with a prayer, but I'm just going to say amen to <laughs> amen. that and just have that be my prayer as well. So, Rachel, thanks for being here. Thanks, David. And thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you again soon. Life's not a simple-